Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 35. This is another interview we recorded live at the Lean Startup Week 2016. Josh sat down with Jitendra Kavathaker, the Managing Director of Accenture Open Innovation. In their conversation, Jitendra really laid out why open innovation is important and how it's effective. And he pointed out specific things in corporations that can inhibit the partnerships with startups that are so crucial for the corporation's survival. Uh, he also emphasized the importance of local ecosystems for open innovation as it fits into a global context. Hi there, everyone. I'm Vicki, producer of Inside Outside Innovation, the podcast that brings you the latest insights from people who know the most about building lean businesses, innovating within corporations, and disrupting entire industries with passion and precision. Connect with our team on Twitter at the IO Podcast, or leave us a review on iTunes. Now, let's get started. Jitendra, uh, what does open innovation mean? Uh, just getting started out there, we have a lot of uh, corporate innovators who are really interested in figuring out how to partner with startups or, or institutions or whatnot. But just to give uh, everybody a level set, what is open innovation to you? Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, Henry Chesborough made the, the term very famous. Uh, and, you know, of course, the, the industry has riffed on open innovation as a as a theme. We're not too far off from that. Open innovation for us is our way of bringing innovation from anywhere in the world not just within our four walls, mm -hmm. but anywhere in the world to our clients to drive our client transformations and our client journeys. We're here to serve our clients. Increasingly, um, the technology waves that are hitting us are driving those changes. And so we're looking at innovations outside of Accenture in the form of startups, universities, and, uh, and others to drive those changes. So, so in the past, many corporations felt it was us versus startups, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, how has that continued to evolve, and, and why is it becoming even more and more popular and probably even more and more valuable to consider collaboration with startups? Yeah, I, I think there's a realization, I think there's a, there's a humbling of the, the rate at which the technologies are hitting us. Mm -hmm. And I think you look at skill sets that are needed to develop very, very quickly around, let's say, machine learning. It's a popular yep. topic right now, right? How many machine learning uh, experts do you have within your company? Mm -hmm. Probably not that many, you know, uh, for most companies out there. Yet there are um, there are great uh, great startups that are coming out there that are focused on it. So skill sets, I think culture and inertia of culture is a, is top of mind for for a lot of companies. And I think you just look at the new wave of employees that are coming in and the enthusiasm and the receptivity of uh, looking at what the startup world is doing. You just look at it from a macro perspective: the amount of money that's going into funding startups, so the supply of innovation sure. is growing rapidly. Uh, it's it's not deniable. Um, so yeah, I think I think a lot of these things are adding to it. I think also you're seeing you know the Ubers and the Airbnb examples that get thrown around a lot in terms of disrupting business models for the incumbents. Sure, is uh, jarred a lot of companies and in, in all of the industries to say, hey, you know, what's the Uber of our industry and what should we do about about it? Uh, but it, it loosens everybody up into opening up and saying, yeah, no, I think we need to figure out how to evolve and change. And so I think there's just a lot of change going on in the market. Uh, and I think everybody's getting into it. So everybody's competitive with each other. Absolutely. You know, you just hit on something there of thinking about what the corporation can bring to the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. They've got the capital. 
uh, many times. They've got the channel. They've got clients. Maybe there is some proprietary uh, information that they can bring to the table. Uh, everybody thinks this should be a match made in heaven, right? Because I can match it with those people who can move faster than I can. Maybe they have uh, talent and passion, etc. But there are certain things, I think, that get in the way from this being always the match made in heaven. What, what are some of the things that you see, especially from the client side, from the corporate side, that impede uh, and, and at the very beginning don't always make this this perfect match? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, there's a lot of things, right? I think, I think a lot of times we get our, in our own way, mm-hmm. just in terms of our own internal processes, our own governance models, our own kind of protective measures to make sure that we're not, you know, even signing an NDA sometimes takes a few days to get the right people to look at it, to <laughs> yeah. sign it, et cetera. Um, just to give you a small example, uh, um, you know, some sort of uh, partnership agreement could take months. You know, it could take a while to get through. Um, so there's, th- there's those normal kind of internal mechanisms that, that get in the way. Uh, I think also if you look at the kind of not invented here type of syndrome mm. that's that's out there and, and still fairly prevalent, I think it's a it's a threat sometimes to see that you know you're going to partner with somebody who you already have a team that can do this. Right, and and I think that threat really should be looked at as an opportunity. Sure. Because the opportunity, of course, is that you're not trying to do the the foundational innovation. What we really should be doing as corporates is to really understand what our end users, end consumers, mm-hmm. end partners really need. What what is the real value that we're providing? And and you know, often oftentimes we're able to see that we can add a layer of innovation on top of that startup's capabilities. Mm-hmm to wrap it in a way that makes sense for our consumer base, right? And at the end of the day, the corporate, uh, our corporate clients own their consumers. That's, that's what they want to own. They want to continue owning that. They want to have a strong brand. They want to have strong technology and processes. So do that, sure. right? But you don't have to build, you don't have to uh, build the wheel to get a car. You know, mm-hmm. you can get the wheels. You can start building other aspects of the car that's really going to create that stronger mm-hmm. solution you know, for you. So, so thinking about um, what ends up getting built or, or even where these partnerships uh, get sought, there's different phases along the innovation spectrum, right? I've got a lot of stuff close to the core that I'm working on all the way out to adjacent or transformational things and new businesses that haven't even been invented yet. Yeah. Where does open innovation work best? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think... Classically, what you see with open innovation is a lot of the edges, you know, kind of thing. It's kind of in the innovation centers. How can you bring outside innovation into the innovation centers to kind of have a more vibrant innovation agenda for the company? So it's a little bit more on the on the future-looking uh, things. But honestly, you know, what I'd say is, um, and I was just in Brazil last week, and we were talking to a number of clients there, uh, you know, everything from insurance companies to agri-tech to, to other companies, banks. And, um, you know, we just talked about, why wouldn't we apply capable, you know, startups and their innovations and their technologies to the most challenging problems that you have, mm. the most critical problems that Regardless you have? Regardless of where they are on Regardless the spectrum. Regardless of where yeah. they are on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I mean, of mm-hmm. course, there is a qualifying of the partnership, right? You have to find, quote-unquote, startups that are starting to not look like startups anymore because they got a lot of funding, they got a nice building, they got, you know, 200 employees, sure. and you're getting to that <laughs> stage, Right. But you got to get those companies that I think are, are ready to scale, that are built to scale, that are already scaling. But once you kind of de-risked that relationship and you've got these companies that are going to be mm-hmm. around for a while, why not apply them to the hardest problems that you have? And why not apply that to the heart of the scariest part of what you think should change, but you're losing sleep over how to change it and you're sure. going through all the machinations of the culture shift and you have the right person running it, you know, all that. Why not go after those types of problems? And of course, there's risk involved. But, you know, frankly, that's where Accenture comes in. You know, we, we've, we've done the large transformations with our clients. That's what we do every day, right? And so we feel that we're, we're we think we can add value in the, in the relationship between the startup, the corporate, where we're able to go after those hard problems 
like we've always done. Mm -hmm. But in but embedded in what we're providing are these startups technologies that we can we can do that with. You know, so that, that's I think that's so I think I think right now to answer your question, I think right now it's on the edges. I think a lot of this is you know experimental and see where it goes. But more and more, we're trying to coach our clients into saying, let's get some courage, sure. and let's go after it. C could you tell us a little bit more about how you facilitate that bridge making? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a lot of things that we do. We have uh, seven locations around the world now with open innovation. So. You know, we just launched Tel Aviv, uh, for example, for our cybersecurity, but we have in uh, London and Paris and India, uh, Brazil, uh, United States, and we're growing more and more um, this year. Um, we, uh, we have over, you know, 5,000 companies now that we've uh, met and have in our database, and of that we have a few hundred that are uh, really key startups that we've vetted that we think have okay. a, a real good uh, impact uh, potential for our clients. So that's on the supply side. But but I really want to talk about the demand side. The demand mm -hmm. side is really the interesting part uh, for us, which is what does that journey look like uh, for a client of ours, for a corporate, to really zone in on where they can they can transform a particular business, right? We're working with, uh, so we have something called open innovation as a service. Hmm. And the idea is it's your typical kind of three-step uh, kind of program where we start off with discovering, not only discovering the innovations and startups out there, not yeah. only doing the screening, but also mm -hmm. discovering the problems to solve. Um, so, so the first phase is really defining the problem, defining proof of concepts that we could be funding, that we could be taking to market. And as we go through these three phases, we're building those proof of concepts, we're piloting those proof of concepts, and then ultimately we're going to scale it and make it real. Um, and, and that open innovation service is really interesting because, you know, we had a large um, agri-bank, uh, bank that sure. uh, supports agriculture, and, you know, the CTO of the bank asked us to look at, you know, let's apply open innovation as a service to agribanking of the future. And agribank of the future is a world where farmers are living in an IoT world. Hmm. And so when you have this IoT world, you can do a lot of things in terms of measuring the health of the soil. You can measure the moisture levels. You can uh, measure, uh, there's more and more startups looking at climate changes and forecasting climate, which is a really hard problem, but there are a lot of companies doing that. Um, you have, um, you know, in this part of the world, there's severe drought conditions, et cetera. So it's an important area. Um, and you have technologies like sensors in the ground. You have drones with sensors. You have satellite imagery like Planet Labs and others. Uh, you have uh, farm automation. You have a lot of things happening in agri-tech right now. But how do you translate that into what the bank should do? And so we went through this process. We identified 13 problem areas mm -hmm. um, that the bankers, we're not talking about technologists, we're talking about the actual bankers. Once they understood where the world is going, these are problems that we could be starting to address today over the next two, three years to be ready for this IoT world. And of that, we just pick a few of those problems and start to build proof of concepts with them. When we start to build those proof of concepts, you know, whether it is, you know, how do you value a new plot of land, you know, when somebody's trying to buy it with a mortgage? What's the mortgage rate that you're going to apply? Or how do you uh, determine whether um, that farmer is managing their water effectively in a drought condition? Hmm. So then you know if it's, a, if it's a risky client or a not risky client, right? You want to you price your risk. That's what um, banks do. And so we, we went through that process. We came up with the POCs. And then we, you know, we realized pretty quickly that there's so much data that's going to be coming to the bank eventually when you have all these sensors and everything in the ground that those sensors and that data needs to really be digested in some sort of risk model that today the risk model is really just Excel spreadsheets. It's in Excel and it's in people's heads. Tomorrow's world, there has to be a digital infrastructure to ingest all that data to come up with the risk models. Yeah. That's core to that bank. That is the core of the bank, right? So, so it's not just the edges in terms of like, oh, wow, you can kind of detect some climate change in a certain part of summer or whatever. You know, it's, it's not just that. It's not just, like, hey, we can detect moisture levels. What does that mean? It really gets to the core of 
digitizing their credit risk um, scoring ability. And that is the core of that bank in this new world where IoT is going to play a role. Mm -hmm. That is where open innovation comes in because we can sit here and talk about the way it should work, or we can actually get in there and experiment with startups that are doing these things. And that's what we did, and, yep. and we're really uh, excited about that project. That's a that's a phenomenal example. Uh, it reminds me of that uh, that credit union up in New York City that went under because of the taxi cab medallion lending. Right? Sometimes you, you have no idea which ripple is going to potentially take yeah. you out, and so. Many times you do need a good outsider coming in to help you understand what's going, and not then just take that information and pray that something good's going to happen, but how can you choose a few areas and then start, just like we're learning here, to apply Lean Startup or other areas to do rapid experimentation and testing to figure out where you can de-risk it? Rapid experimentation in that case was rapid learning. Mm-hmm. If we didn't experiment, we would have had some theoretical understanding of where the world might be going. It might yep. it, it'd just be stuck in some PowerPoint slides that we could spend a day and a half just doing some sort of workshop and walking people through some PowerPoint slides and walk away and hopefully we did some value. No, in this case, we actually started to experiment. And those experiments, which are technology experiments, they're proof of concept developments. We're going to take those out in the field. But as we're doing that, we're uncovering the next wave of problems. Sure. It's not the next wave of technology. It's the next wave of problems. It get to the core part of that business. And that client journey, this open innovation and service, I'm really excited about because that that's really where I think there's kind of a missing link. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole innovation world that we're in and, and um, this experimentation and open innovation and all the innovation centers, you know, it all started with people just curious of what's out there, right? You see a lot of uh, companies here in, in the Valley that have their outposts. And, sure. You know, they'll, they'll set up partnership with accelerators. They'll set up a corporate venture fund. Mm-hmm. you got to be in the game. You know, the board of directors is very happy that, that, uh, that they're doing that. The CEO is happy they're doing it. It's a good marketing thing. The employees want to see that they're doing that. And it's great. It's a great foundational step, and you've got to be in the game. It's a full-contact sport, as we say. But really to evolve from that or mature from that is really focus on the biggest problems that you have. Big problems, small problems, but don't be scared of the big problems. And start to apply these principles to those hard problems and be surprised what you come out Mm -hmm. of with that. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we've seen, at least in the Midwest sometimes, is corporations, especially mid-market, who are thinking about they, they want to do this, they want to engage with startups, it seems like they go a couple of different paths first off, right? They figure, they find the accelerator that's closest to them or something to try to invest in or mentor at, mm-hmm. or they start to hold uh, reverse pitch competitions or hackathons or other things. They get really, really, really early stage stuff, mm-hmm. right? You'd mentioned before, though, a lot of things you look at might be Series A or probably Series B at that stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a place for these really early dipping the toe in, uh, or is it more theatrics? Yeah, there certainly is a place. I mean, I think uh, you owe it to your employees to be in the game um, because I think it's everybody's caught the bug, and you don't have to be a millennial just to to feel the bug. I feel it, and I'm not a millennial. Um, um, So I think you owe it to your culture. You owe it to the evolution of your company's culture. You owe it to be able to recruit new people in. I think Mm -hmm. you you owe it to your own brand to be involved in these things, and those things are important. I mean, you can't minimize those things. Um, And I think you have to kind of... um, acclimate the culture to these to these great ideas. I mean, there's so much enthusiasm everybody has when they show up at an accelerator, right? I mean, I don't care if you're coming from a corporate or a startup, you've you got, you got the bug, yeah. right? And I think you've got to have that bug. And I think you, so I think there's a, there a place for that, and I think you should experiment with that. I think you have to moderate your risk um, on that. So I think, you know, those are environments, um, those earlier stage companies, you know, the fact of the matter is that most of these companies are going to die. 
And it's not because they're bad. It's not, I mean, some of them might not, might not be really that good. But uh, it's not really about good or bad. It's really about, it's really hard to get these companies um, to, to grow and get to the next stage. Sure. And, you know, venture capital is not the only way to do it. A lot of parts of the world don't rely on venture capital and they create great businesses and, mm-hmm. and, they're, and they're great, right? Mm-hmm. But, but if we talk about the Silicon Valley side of the, the equation, uh, venture capital is a big thing. And I think, I think that is a key marker for, for reducing risk. Um, doesn't mean you're going to be ultimately successful, but at least you reduce the risk and you can start to engage. So I think you have to kind of have a dual speed about these things. I think you have to engage with the local economies and uh, local accelerators. We see this around the world, all the countries that I mentioned. There's so much pride in every country where every every kind of country lead for Accenture is going to raise their hand and say, we've got startups too. We've got a vibrant uh, startup ecosystem. Sure. And absolutely, these are tremendously uh, vibrant. And there's a lot of local to local success stories, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. sometimes small, sometimes big, but you can't ignore that. So that, that has mm-hmm. to continue. But don't ignore the kind of outside-in kind of angle as well, right? So in the Midwest, right? I mean, the fact that New York is on one end of the world and, or the United States and Silicon Valley is on the other end, there's some great innovations that could be directly relevant to you. And if, sure. you're, if you're a bank, you know, uh, there's obviously there's some great startups in our FinTech Innovation Lab in, in New York. There's some great startups that we've groomed and we've went through. And of course, in Silicon Valley, the position that we're trying to play with Accenture is to be that bridge maker. So no matter where the innovation come, is coming from in the world, we should be able to serve our clients everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's really mm-hmm. what we're trying to do because I think this is not a geo-specific or a local play. Even though you have to play locally, it's not your only play. You've got to look at the broader ecosystem. Yeah, I think that's a great point. All right. So if people want to learn more about uh, Accenture Open Innovation or yourself, uh, where can we direct them to? Yeah, I mean, uh, go to our our website. We have a link to uh, Open Innovation there. So it's www.accenture.com. I appreciate it, Andrew. Great. I really much enjoyed it. Thank you for writing. That wraps up another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Big thanks to Jitendra for taking time out of the conference to talk with us. We would love to connect with you through Twitter at the IO Podcast or on our website, insideoutside.io. If you've got a topic or area you'd like us to dig into, let us know because we'd love to share our insights and invite other experts like Jitendra onto the show so that they can share theirs. Until next time, go out and innovate.